And he went to the counter, made his order. It was just a small order, less than $2. And he went to pay for his food in cash. And he pulled out something. He pulled out one of these. For those of you that are close enough to see, what is this? It's a $2 bill. How many of you have $2 bills? Okay. Well, the young person who was working at that establishment had never seen a $2 bill. Didn't even know that they were real. And so when they looked down at this strange looking bill, and who is that face on this bill? Jefferson? They said, I'm sorry, but we can't take that. They thought, surely this guy is trying to pull a fast one on me. I know that's not real money. And the guy said, why can't you take it? And they said, we just don't take those. We can't take that money. Can you, do you have any other means to pay? And he said, no, this is all I've got. And so they were in this argument back and forth, and they said, well, let me go get my manager. And the manager came and looked and said, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, we can't take that. Back and forth, back and forth. Uh, all the while, the people who were working there didn't have any idea that this was real currency. They thought for sure it had to be a counterfeit. But who would counterfeit a bill that doesn't exist in their minds, right? But of course, there are real and actual $2 bills, and most of you have one. Uh, somebody gave me this just recently. We're talking today about counterfeits, specifically in the last days. What's, what is a counterfeit? Somebody give, raise your hand and give me a definition or shout it out. What, what is a counterfeit? Yeah, something that's a lot like the real thing, very close, but it's not. It's intended to look real or seem like it's real, but in the end, it's just a big fake. Um, you know, in the very beginning, from the very beginning, Satan has been a counterfeiter. I mean, he was created perfect in the very beginning, but something started to go wrong in his heart. Ezekiel 28 says iniquity was found in him. Sin was found in his heart. And on the outside, Lucifer was a glorious, beautiful angel that looked like everything was A-OK, -okay, but in his heart, he was rebelling against God. And he started sowing seeds of doubt, seeds of discontent, seeds of mistrust against who God was. He was a counterfeit good angel. Eventually, he was kicked out. Uh, Isaiah tells us that he, he wanted to be like God, Isaiah 14, except he didn't want God's character. He just wanted to be like God in power and authority and throne, position, etc. So he comes down to this earth, and he talks to Adam and Eve, specifically Eve there, and he has counterfeit truth that he's trying to sell her. He's telling her things that are almost true, but not fully true. And in the end, Eve falls into sin. Adam, her husband, joins her, and our world is plunged into uh, the sin and the state of chaos that we see today. And we could take all, all presentation just tracing his lies throughout Scripture, but focused, we're, so our focus this morning is specifically on the last days. We're back in our series on the last days. You know, Scripture teaches very clearly that in the last days, there is going to be high-powered deception. 
Matthew 24, 24, what should we expect? False what? Christ's and false what? Prophets rising up and showing bad signs or no, great signs. That means they're big, powerful. That means they're easy to deceive people and wonders to deceive, if possible, even who? The elect. So these deceptions aren't going to be like the people that you see on TV, somebody claiming to be the Messiah, and there's like 30 people following after them or whatever. That's not very tricky for most people. But Jesus says these deceptions will be so powerful that even the people who are going to be saved will almost be tricked by them. That means we need to be on our guard. And that lines up with Revelation. Revelation 13, 13. We'll focus more on this, but it says he performs what kind of signs? Great signs. So that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. If you saw something like that, would that be impressive? It would be very impressive. Now, we don't know if this is literal or symbolic, and we're going to talk more about the symbolism of this later. But it says that because of what he's doing, he deceives. And how many people are deceived by these things? According to the verse. Those who dwell on earth. And later on, it says the whole world. So we're dealing with some high-powered trickery, high-powered counterfeiting in the last days. Because Satan, as it says in Revelation 12, 12, realizes that he has a short time. And so his goal now is to just try and take as many people down as he can with him. But it's not just his demons. Satan has enlisted people in the last days. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. For such are false apostles, we could say in today's language, false pastors, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. People who, maybe they don't even realize it, maybe they do realize it, but they're working for Satan. And he's speaking through them to deceive and trick people. And, and the apostle concludes, no wonder, because Satan himself transforms into an angel of light. He, Lucifer was an angel of light in the beginning, but apparently now, through sin, he has become darkened. But he still has the ability to shapeshift and make himself look glorious and powerful. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So, from the very beginning, is it safe to say that the last days will be filled with deceit and counterfeits from Satan? We should expect it in the world. We should expect it in our churches. So we have to be on guard. Now, we're going to be looking at his counterfeit activity, specifically in Revelation, and as Adventists, we often look at Revelation and we go straight to the interpretation because we want to know the historical fulfillment or the prophetic application of the words. And this is important. We should do these things. Today, however, I'm going to be taking a step back a little bit and looking more at the literary structure, the literary devices that are used by the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we'll see, because this is the foundation through which any historical application has to come from. Uh, so we're not going to take time. We, we've taken time previously, and we'll take time in the future to go through all the application. But today, we're going to look just at what the text is communicating through the literature itself. And we'll see 
Uh, we have a very deceitful and tricky arch enemy. Before we get into our, our analysis of that, I want to do something a little different. We have a video, so we'll need the audio again. And we're going to listen to Revelation 13 uh, plus the, first, uh, the last verse of Revelation chapter 12. So listen to what he's saying because we're going to be reflecting on it here in just a minute. This the dragon grew furious with the woman and went off to wage war on the rest of her offspring. That has done those who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony to Jesus. He took his stand on the seashore. Then out of the sea I saw a beast rising. He had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten diadems, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw were like a leopard's, but its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth like a lion's mouth. The dragon conferred upon it his power and rule and great authority. One of its head appeared to have received a death blow, but the mortal wound was healed. The whole world went after the beast in wandering or admiration. Men worshipped the dragon because he had conferred his authority upon them. The beast. Men worshiped the beast also and chanted, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against him? The beast was allowed to mouth bombast and blasphemy and was given the right to reign for 42 months. He opened his mouth and blasphemy against God, reviling his name and his heavenly dwelling. He was allowed to wage war upon God's people and to defeat them and was given authority over every nation and tribe, language and people. All on earth will worship the beast except those whose names the Lamb that was slain keeps in his role of the living written there since the world was made. Hear, you who have ears to hear, whoever's to be made a prisoner, a prisoner he shall be. Whoever takes the sword to kill, by the sword he is bound to be killed. This is where the fortitude and faithfulness of God's people has its place. Then after I looked, I saw another beast which came up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. He wielded all the authority of the first beast in its presence and gave the earth and its inhabitants and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast who had been wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was allowed to work great miracles, even making fire come down from heaven to earth before men's eyes. And by the miracles he was allowed to perform in the presence of the beast, he deluded the inhabitants of the earth and made them erect an image in honor of the beast who had been wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was allowed to give breath to the image so that it could speak and could cause all who would not worship it to be put to death. Moreover, he caused all men, great and small, rich and poor, slave and free, to be branded with a mark on his right hand or forehead, and no one was allowed to buy or sell unless he bore this beast's mark, either name or number. Here is the key, and anyone who has intelligence may work out the number of the beast. The number represents a man's name, and the numerical value of its letters is 666. Very good. This guy does all of Revelation, has it memorized. Yeah, and, and we need to remember that the letters of the Bible were read, and so if you were living back then, you would be hearing it all like this. Sometimes we, we get so zoomed in that we forget to listen to the broader uh, context. So what we have here in Revelation 13 is we have three main evil characters. As you were listening to them, who are the three main evil characters in Revelation 13? We've got the dragon. He's one of them, right? And then we've got a couple of beasts. The sea beast, the one that comes up out of the, out of the sea. And then where does the other one come up out of? 
out of the land, right? So what we have here, and you've studied this in your Sabbath school lesson if you've been studying last, last quarter, but we're going to go a little deeper today. We see here a counterfeit trinity. Each one of these three characters is in some way um, trying to take the place of the members of the Godhead. We've got the dragon, the sea beast, and the land beast. And we're going to be showing you in just a moment here, together that they form this counterfeit trinity, the dragon is trying to impersonate God the Father. We'll see this. The sea beast is impersonating Jesus, and the land beast is impersonating the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to have some slides here for you, but it'll be probably information overload for some of you. But I put it there because uh, it'll be easier if you want to watch the video later to, to mark down all the references uh, to study this in further detail. So let's take a look at it in more detail. The dragon representing God the Father. First of all, we see that the dragon has a throne. We see this in multiple places in Revelation, but guess who else has a throne? God the Father, of course, has a throne. His is the only throne that the dragon has ever really wanted, uh, but can't have. And then in Revelation 13, we heard this, that the dragon gives something to the sea beast. He gives power, a throne, and great authority to the sea beast. But this should remind us to something that happened to Jesus, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. He said, all authority has been given unto me. And we look at the other scriptures. We look at Revelation 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, and we also see that he's been given a throne. He's been given all these things. Okay? The dragon, the devil, has just been seeking worship. All along, he's been seeking worship. Uh, but of course, really, the dragon is not worthy of worship. Only one is worthy, which is God the Father. Yet another parallel. Interesting, uh, kind of a parallel, but also difference here. In the end, the dragon, the Bible says, will be destroyed. Praise God. But God the Father is going to live on forever and ever. Let's take a look at the sea beast here. The sea beast begins by coming up out of the what? Out of the sea. Now, when Jesus began his public ministry, what was the, where did he come up out of and begin his ministry? The Jordan River, that's right. He came up, came up out of those dirty Jordan River waters, at least that's how it was when we were there. And that was the start of his public ministry. Uh, so it's very interesting, this parallel here. The sea beast, do you remember what it, uh, what it looked like, how many heads it had, and how many horns, so forth? It had seven heads and ten horns. Now, do you remember the, the dragon from Revelation? Revelation chapter 12, it describes what the dragon looks like. Do you know what the dragon looks like? Guess how many heads the dragon has. It has seven heads, and it has ten horns. And if you want to open up to Revelation 12 and 13, you can do that too. So the sea beast resembles the dragon. In other words, uh, if you've seen the sea beast, you've seen the dragon almost. What did Jesus say about himself? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You seeing these parallels here? Very interesting how it's just right out there 
for us to see. Has ten crowns. Well, guess what? Revelation says Jesus has many crowns, not just limited to ten. King of Thailand just put on a crown. It was seven kilos. But the crown of Jesus, uh, we're just going to have to wait to heaven to see how heavy it is. And he has many of them. Okay, the sea beast, according to Revelation chapter 13, had a period historically where it persecuted God's people. How many months was that period of persecution? 42. And we, we like to, to look prophetically and, and look at that 1260-year period. But just looking at the 42 symbolic months, uh, we see a very powerful parallel with the ministry of Christ. Because how long was Jesus' ministry? Three and a half years. His ministry was the same. Continuing on. The sea beast, it got a deadly wound, right? Got a deadly wound. Killed with a deadly wound. Jesus, same thing. Before the sea beast was ever slain with a deadly wound, Jesus was killed on the cross for you and for me. But Revelation 13 tells us the deadly wound was healed. There was a resurrection. We talked about the counterfeit resurrection last time. It happened just as Jesus was resurrected. Uh, well, not just as, but in a similar fashion. After the wound was healed, the sea beast received worship. People wandered after the beast, praised the beast, gave it uh, worship and so forth. And after Jesus was resurrected, people realized who he was. Uh, some for the first time and began worshiping him. After his wound was healed, the beast was given universal authority over the people, over the nations. That same thing uh, can be said about Jesus. He was given universal authority by his Father. Are you seeing some connections here? You're seeing some parallels? Hopefully I'm not overloading you with information. But I want you to see, these aren't just a couple of factors. These are all throughout the text. Now check this one out. Revelation 13, verse 4. People say, who is like the beast? Well, Jesus, another name for him in Revelation is the name Michael. Michael is a name that means who is like God. Uh, very interesting, uh, the connections and the parallels here. Let's focus now on, on the earth beast. The earth beast in other places is referred to as the false prophet. And the false prophet, the goal is to deceive people and lead them into lies and lead them into destruction. But the land beast, um, which is trying to mimic the work of the Holy Spirit, is trying to deceive people, but the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Truth, which is just oppositely trying to lead people into all truth. The land beast is lamb-like. It has two horns like a lamb, but the Holy Spirit uh, is in the Spirit of Christ. And we could say the Holy Spirit, in that sense, is Christ-like. The land beast exercises all the authority of the beast that came before it, in the same way that the Holy Spirit exercises the authority of Christ in this world. The land beast directs worship to the sea beast. Land beast is trying to point people back to the sea beast to get people to worship the sea beast. Well, what's the Holy Spirit doing? Trying to get people to worship it? 
Him? No. The Holy Spirit is trying to get people to worship and focus Jesus and God the Father. In fact, we could, we could see in the, in the, the Godhead itself that every member is trying to highlight the work of the other members. We see this spirit of unselfishness that exists in the actual Trinity. Okay, let's look at a couple more factors. The land beast performs great signs. As you read Revelation 13, there are all sorts of crazy signs happening to get people to be deceived. But the Holy Spirit, as we see in Acts chapter 4, was also doing signs and is currently doing signs to help people to believe and follow after God. The earth beast, in fact, as we saw earlier, actually calls fire down from heaven in the sight of men. Well, what did the Holy Spirit do in Acts chapter 2? Tongues of fire came down upon the disciples at that time. The earth beast, this is another interesting one, gives life or breath to the image of the beast. Well, the Holy Spirit gives life and breath of life, as it says there in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. As the Spirit uh, gave life to Christ, he also wants to give life to our mortal bodies. Again, parroting the work. The land beast is parroting the work of the Holy Spirit. The land beast has this mark of the beast that he's trying to put on people. But what does the Holy Spirit have? Talked about it a couple months ago, a, little, a while ago. He's got the seal that he's trying to put upon everybody. Can you see what's going on here? Just from a literary perspective, we're, we're getting a very clear picture that in the last days, Satan is trying to counterfeit the work of the Godhead. He's trying to mimic the work of God the Father, mimic the work of Jesus, mimic the work of the Holy Spirit. Because rarely does the devil pop up and just say, hey, I'm the devil, I'm the bad one, follow me. Right? That's not how it works. They're trying to copy and mimic things so it looks as close as possible to the original, but is different in some way. You know, when we went to Thailand, my friend warned us, and he said, be careful and always have your radar on for a scam. And maybe people say the same thing when people visit America, too, right? Because it's everywhere. The church got a phone call saying our PG&E was, was going to be cut off. They hadn't received payment, and, and uh, I wasn't around. But fortunately, Nancy saved us, and uh, she, she saw through their, their little scheme there. But when we went to Thailand, my friend said, always keep your radar on for a scam. He said, when I was going to go visit Cambodia, I was in Thailand, and you have to get a visa to go visit Cambodia, the next country over. So I was ushered into a, the embassy for Cambodia, he tells, and as he's in there, things just start to not add up. And he just had this uncomfortable feeling. So eventually he just says, you know what, I've got to leave, I've got to go. And he realizes that they had built a counterfeit Cambodian embassy there in Thailand. It was not a real embassy, even though it had all these symbols and paperwork and seals and whatever. They were just trying to get you in there to get your information, to get your money, get your passport away from you, and then make you pay money to get it back, or whatever the scam was. But they don't put signs up out front saying, this is a fake embassy, come on in and give us your money, right? They make it look as close as they can so they can do the old bait and switch 
and get you in the end. That's what the devil is trying to do. And through so many means and methods and historical applications that we can talk about later, the counterfeit trinity in the last days is trying to trick us and trap us so that we will be lost forever. We saw already that uh, there's a counterfeit trinity, but there's also a counterfeit seal or mark. Uh, We talked about that briefly. The original, genuine mark is the seal of God. Where does the seal of God go? It goes right here in the forehead. But the counterfeit trinity, they have their counterfeit. They've got the mark of the beast, which goes either here or up here. We could talk more about that at another time. There's a counterfeit message. In the last days, the, the, the real Godhead, the real Trinity, has a message for the world. We call it the three angels' messages. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 12 at least. These last messages to the world. Three angels going out with urgency to the world. But I want you to open up your Bible real quick. Because I want you to see that the counterfeit trinity has a counterfeit message, a counterfeit three angels' messages. Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16, and we'll look at verse 13. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 13. And I saw three, how many? Three what? Right, three unclean or evil spirits like what? Like frogs. It's kind of odd. Coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the what? The beast or the sea beast, and out of the mouth of the what? False prophet, another name for the land beast. So we have how many unclean spirits like frogs? Three, coming out of each, one out of each of the three members of the counterfeit trinity. And look at what they're trying to do. Verse 14, they are spirits of what? Demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to the battle, the great day of God Almighty. There's a counterfeit message, a counterfeit three angels messages that is going out from the counterfeit trinity to try and gather people together for this great and final battle. And where does that battle take place? Look at verse 16. And they gather them together at a place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But some have said, well, why frogs? That's really odd. Really odd. And there are probably a couple of different explanations, but I was reading one that that I hadn't heard before, and I thought it was pretty good. So, in Egypt, which Revelation has some strong connections and allusions to the Exodus story. In fact, we've got the seven last plagues. How many plagues were there altogether? Ten. And the last seven didn't fall on everybody. They just fell on the Egyptians, right? Uh, We have Egypt mentioned a couple times by name in Revelation. But the first plagues... You remember uh, the, the signs, actually, that, that uh, Moses was doing for Pharaoh and for the people in his court? Remember, he did a couple of different signs. 
Uh, he, he made some water turn to blood, and the magicians did the same thing. Uh, they did a couple of different things. There was the snakes, right? Threw the staff down, they turned to a snake. They threw their staffs down, but Moses' staff snake swallowed up their staff snake, uh, and then he picked it back up again. But the last, the last trick that the magicians were able to copy was when he created frogs. That was the last deception that they were able to do. After that, they couldn't do any of the other plagues. They couldn't copy any of the other ones. So the author, John uh, Pauline, was suggesting that the spirits like frogs is, is saying and giving us the clue and the idea that this is the last deception that the counterfeit trinity is going to be able to pass over on people. Uh, anyway, something to think about. You don't have to agree with them, but something to think about. There's always more to keep your mind uh, spinning and turning and keep you thinking and studying. But no doubt, there's a counterfeit message and the purpose is to gather people into league with the devil, basically. We've got a counterfeit message. We also have a counterfeit city. Now, the original city, that's the New Jerusalem mentioned in the end of Revelation. What's the counterfeit city? Well, that's getting into application, but, but good guess. The counterfeit city, uh, just thinking along the literary terms, is in Revelation 17, which deals with Babylon. Remember? It's the harlot woman who's also a city, Riding on a beast? Very interesting imagery. Uh, and in fact, we could do a whole sermon just on parallels between Babylon, that city, and the language that's used in Scripture, uh, comparing and counterfeiting the language that's used to, to describe the New Jerusalem. Very, very interesting counterfeit message, counterfeit city. And there's also a counterfeit revival. You have people who are seeing the, the resurgence, the resurrection of the sea beast, and they're worshiping, and they're praising, and they're following after the sea beast. Uh, we also saw that um, people were uh, receiving this counterfeit message to gather them together uh, for the battle of Armageddon. Uh, now, people often think that it's just going to be a literal gathering in that one location. Um, doubtful for a lot of different reasons. This is talking about the great spiritual battles. But actually, Sarah and I got to go to Megiddo. Um, Armageddon is two words, Har, Mount, and Megiddo, which, which means slaughter. But there's just not enough space for everybody to gather together. Uh, here's her in, in the cistern and no water flowing through there right now. There's just not enough space. But there is a mountain near Megiddo. Megiddo's not a mountain, it's just a town. There's a mountain that's near there, and it's this mountain right here. Anybody know what this mountain is? This is Mount Carmel. So right near Megiddo is what we could call the mountain of Megiddo. Mount Carmel. Now, you remember in Revelation 13, it says that the land beast was causing fire to come down? Right. So we've got the location, symbolically, and we've got the action. Now, with the story of Elijah on top of Mount Carmel, there was a choice. You got two gods, Baal 
or you've got God. Baal means Lord. You've got the counterfeit Lord, or you've got the one true Lord. Who are you going to follow? And in the end, the test was decided by fire coming down from God and burning up the sacrifice. Well, the, the language and the symbols of Revelation is saying that the counterfeit trinity is going to do everything they can to produce what looks like direct evidence of God leading and working, which will lead people to follow them and be allegiant to them and not to God. Counterfeit revival, counterfeit miracles happening, leading people directly away from God. Some people also think that there will be a counterfeit coming of Jesus. With everything that Satan is trying to do, it just makes a lot of sense that the devil would also try to appear as Christ uh, and lead people astray. In fact, there's an interesting passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it says, Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And the coming of the lawless one is in accordance with the working of who? Satan. Here, referring to these end-time deceptions. But notice that the lawless one has a coming, right? And that's, in the Greek, that's the word parousia. The same word that's used just two words before, if I can point with a laser. This word coming, referring to the lawless one, parousia, is the same word in reference to the second coming, of Jesus. So there's this appearance of the lawless one. Uh, and perhaps Satan himself will have his own appearance in accordance with the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteousness, unrighteous deception among those who perish. And why do they perish? They perish because they do not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You know, it's not enough in the last days to simply know that there's deception and say, hey, that's false. It's not enough just to know that's wrong and this is right. We have to do something. We have to receive a love of the truth. God wants to put that love of truth in all of his believers' hearts. We're saved by his merit and his merit alone. And if we've genuinely opened up our hearts to him, he will put in our hearts that love for the truth. Because naturally, our sinful hearts sometimes don't want to love truth. We just want to be self-deluded and self-deceived. We just want to hold on to falsehood. But God wants to offer his people, everybody, and, and everyone in this world, a love for the truth that all might be saved. So we've seen today uh, a lot. Put a lot of things in your mind. You can go back and review all the scriptures later on. But we've seen in the last days, he will try and deceive, if possible, even the elect. How does he do it? He does it through counterfeits through a counterfeit trinity, through a counterfeit seal, through a counterfeit message, a counterfeit city, a counterfeit revival, and perhaps even a counterfeit second coming. But as we close this morning, what does this tell us? So what do we do with this information? You've said the word counterfeit a lot today, John. 
What do we do with it? What do we do with it? Well, number one, I think we need to, to have an attitude of humility as we approach the scriptures, as we approach our world and the Lord. It's easy to feel like because we've been blessed with the knowledge and the truth that we have, that there's nothing else for us to learn. Right? Because we have the truth, we're safe. We've been blessed with so much truth. Amen? But as long as we're alive, we have more to learn. And I realize that there are things that I thought I knew previously, and now I think the Lord has shown me something different. And you've probably experienced that in your own Christian walk. So, number one, have an attitude of humility. Uh, We want to test all things and prove all things. But we want to say with a humble attitude, Lord, please continue to teach me. Reveal your will to me. And the best way for him to teach us is for us to be daily in the word ourselves. Not just to come and, and gorge ourselves with food on, spiritual food on Sabbath and good food at potluck too. And then try and fast throughout the rest of the week. No, daily we need to spend time ourselves in the word. We need to spend time ourselves humbly asking God to lead us and teach us. And we need to pray and ask God every day, Lord, please not only show me the truth, but give me a love for the truth also that I might follow it. Who wants that in their lives? A humble, committed attitude, seeking after God and seeking a love of the truth. I'm glad that God wants to give truth to anybody who's willing to receive it. So let's keep on seeking. Let's share what we know, but let's humbly keep on seeking for more so that we aren't swept away by any counterfeits and can help others to be safe in the truth also. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you've given us your word, you've given us opportunity to study it, And Lord, we've just scratched the surface of a lot of things today. Uh, But I pray you'll stir up in our mind holy curiosity so that we'll want to keep on studying and learning and growing and give us that humble attitude and humble hearts so that we can um, not be overconfident and be caught off guard by something that we're not expecting. Lord, give us opportunity to help people who have been deceived Uh, Give us an opportunity to humbly share what we've already received as we continue to grow together, loving you and loving your truth more and more. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.